self-righteous sloth or humble fruitfulness? Self-righteous sloth or humble fruitfulness? These are the words that came to me whenever I was praying with this reading. And I think about it because as we're on the tail end of Lent, and some of us um, doing more penitential practices than others, and, and we look at the other side um, for those glorious eight days following Lent of the Octave, where we're mandated to eat as much ice cream and uh, red meat as our bodies can allow, uh, we might ask ourselves, was this Lent one of self-righteous sloth, or will it be the beginning of humble fruitfulness? Humble fruitfulness. As we go through this gospel, this is going to take on more flesh and make a little bit more sense. But when we look at Jesus' call to Simon, soon to be Peter, he's been fishing all night. And he is professional. This is how he provides for himself. After fishing all night, the Lord asks him a question whether he will cast into the deep. Actually, a commandment to cast into the deep. And Simon obviously wants to dismiss it. But why does he want to dismiss it? Probably because out of some self-righteousness. As Father Delcom Hunt uh, shared, uh, I am a hunter, and there is something that's very insulting after having gone on a duck hunt or gone on a bird hunt, or for this past season, um, I was able to go on uh, an unhealthy amount of deer hunts while uh, UL was on break, um, and to only have killed two of Bambi's cousins on over 20 hunts was very frustrating. And to hear from others, well, you should have done this, was very insulting. Very insulting. There's something about whenever we give our best effort to be corrected and to say, even if that correction is warranted, to say, no, you're wrong. I've tried all things. The reality of that, though, is that saying, look, I've tried all these things, didn't add a third deer in the freezer. You know, It didn't warrant uh, a 10-point trophy buck. All it did was help ease the pain a little bit. Self-righteous sloth. And in the life of grace, it's very easy to say, well, Lord, I gave my best foot this Lent. I prayed a rosary once a week. I even fasted once a week. I made an extra daily mass once a week. Yet, I still don't think that I should go any deeper. Why? Because I haven't noticed any significant changes. I still fall into the same amount of anxiety and sadness. I still find that I fall into the same amount of sins. So let me back off, Lord, because I tried. That self-righteous slothfulness can easily come in. Another element of this 
is vocationally. Vocationally. I think about um, St. Therese. If anyone is familiar with St. Therese, one of the most famous lines in her autobiography is when she is asking the Lord for her vocation. And she asks and asks the Lord for her vocation, and eventually she says, I know what my vocation is. My vocation is love. My vocation is love. The irony in the background behind all of this is that she is in her vocation. She's already a nun. And how easily can we fall into self-righteous sloth within our vocations as priests, vocation as married people, our vocation as students, to say, Lord, I've already done this. I am a faithful priest. I am a faithful married man. There's nothing more that you could ask of me, so stop asking. I'm going to not cast any deeper, and I will be content with the small amount of grace that exists within my heart and not be content to cast into the deep until I am a saint. It's very easy for us to put up these um, obstacles to real humble fruitfulness. Because again, Simon ends and intentionally wants to end the night saying, I will have no fish in this boat as long as my opinion is respected that I could have done better, that I could not have done better. But now, there is something that is admirable about Simon, and I think this is why the Lord calls fishermen and not scribes or Pharisees to follow him, is that the Lord goes after men who have heart, men who do have heart, men who do have courage, men who do have perseverance, to fish all night rather than simply to know the scriptures. Because Simon actually, even though begrudgingly, is willing to cast into the deep. He is willing to do so. And at face value, we might ask ourselves, why did he hesitate at all in the first place to cast into the deep? He's been doing it all night. But if you think about one of these nets going out into the lake and all the weights at the end of the net, to cast into the deep means that he has to pull that net up. It's going to be very heavy, and it's going to take a long time. And he's going to be thinking the whole way as he pulls that empty net up, how stupid was I for even trying this? And now... Not only am I disappointed in myself, but I am disappointed in this great teacher that I have esteemed. Not only am I disappointed in myself, but I don't want to cast this net into the deep and then be disappointed with God. That is a terrifying thought. Because if we are disappointed with God, to whom else can we turn? So to say... I don't want to cast into the deep. Because, Lord, I prefer our relationship as it is, and I don't want to doubt you, and I don't want to be disappointed in you. But still, the Lord asks us to cast into the deep. And there are times where 
sometimes we cast into the deep, and it seems like God has not honored our request. And does that mean that God is not faithful? No, it doesn't. One thing that um, I think it's like breaks my heart a little bit is um, being grown through seminary and hearing men who, they're all kind of men who leave the seminary, you know, some who were never called and, you know, should have left, you know, um, and then others who were never called, but sincerely thought they were called and then leave and wonder what was God doing? What was God doing? And then are afraid and to enter back into a faithful prayer life and are afraid to give their heart back to the Lord. And so what is the answer? It's to keep on casting into the deep. It is to keep on casting deeply. To keep on, as St. Ignatius says in his fifth rule of discernment of spirits, whenever we are in desolation, that we persevere in prayer. That we add extra fasting, extra self-denial, to add an extra five minutes to that prayer period, to cast even deeper. Because what we cannot do is as Peter and or as Simon intended to do, was go back to our boat and be content with no fish at all, but to just simply say, well, I tried. Well, I tried. No, the Lord wants us to continue to cast into the deep. And the reason is, is because God will not accept burnt offerings. God will not accept burnt offerings. We see that clearly throughout the Old Testament that he's always asking for more, for more. He's not content with our burnt offerings of just simply our empty works. Say, Lord, I've offered you this holy hour. Lord, I've offered you this day of fasting. No, the Lord wants us to offer a humble and contrite heart. And so this casting into the deep is going to be, what do I need, what obstacles do I need to remove from my heart until the Lord can receive me totally. And that can be a painful and frustrating process, as painful as casting a heavy net into the deep and pulling it up over and over and over again with no fish. That we need to persevere in prayer until we have received grace. Now, in the gospel though, Simon never has that frustration. He never has the frustration of God disappointing him. He does, however, have the fear that comes with catching too much fish. And it's an interesting thing. Again, I think we look at it um, just as the text is read. Why would someone catch a lot of fish and then turn to another man and say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He would probably more likely say, look, here's my fishing license. I'm a commercial fisherman. I can legally take this away. You know, why would he say, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man? Whenever um, I was a sophomore in college, at the end of the semester, I had applied for seminary. And it had seemed like, for a moment, this great graced moment. The next semester, 
was almost immediately very difficult to accept what I was going to do. Why? Because you kind of have your O four-letter word moment where it's like, I have to actually do this. I actually have to do this. When Simon Peter pulls up all of that fish, maybe he recognizes, oh, I have to keep this up. I have to listen to this man. I have to always cast into the deep. Maybe my business can't handle this much fish regularly. Maybe I don't have nets that are going to be able to handle all this. I'm, I'm really content with my mediocre catch. I don't want to handle this much. There comes a point in prayer and in our good works when we recognize, oh my, I can be a saint. And that's terrifying. Because it means that I have to continue this. I have to keep this up. Whether it's leaving a retreat or whether it's simply finishing a rosary, there are moments when we recognize, oh, God can remove all the obstacles for me to be holy. But I don't know if I have the strength to keep this up. And to that, Jesus is very clear. He calls him regardless. Jesus comments none on Simon Peter's weakness. He says nothing about it. In fact, all he does is that he gives a strange command. The story gets stranger and stranger, in fact. I don't know how exactly it's consoling to, to, to say to someone, oh, don't worry, you will be fishers of men. What does that mean? What does that mean? I can't imagine that Simon knew what that meant. But he did know what it meant for him immediately. That his boats don't help him catch men, because men don't swim. That his nets don't help him catch men, because I, I couldn't, I just, you know, I couldn't imagine you running after someone with a net and then swing it over and trying to catch them, right? That everything that he has that's available by his own efforts are now going to be useless. And to that, Simon and his co-workers leave their nets, leave their boats, and follow him. They leave their nets, they leave their boats, and follow him. And in that way, they begin and not end their journey with the Lord. Simon, again, could have easily ended his journey with the Lord that night after having fished all night, saying, I tried, I gave all I had, and I will remain in mediocrity, and I will let you come to this lake and teach if you like, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Instead, Simon opened the door for humble fruitfulness by leaving behind all the ways that were familiar for him to feed himself and to follow the Lord with a generous heart. We're all faced with that decision after Lent. And we're faced with that decision every day. Is to say, Lord, I will allow you this much. 
I have given you this much and you have not fulfilled it. Or Lord, I have given you this much and I don't want to trust you and fall flat on my face and then be upset with you and to say that you can't be trusted. I don't want to do that. But the Lord continually asks us to cast into the deep. And so, in sum, what do we do? What do we do? One of the things that we have to recognize about self-righteous sloth is that sloth is the opposite of hope. Sloth is the opposite of hope. And sloth can manifest itself in a lot of ways. Sloth can manifest itself as far as just laziness, but it can also manifest itself as being a busybody. That is, I will do whatever it takes, and I'll make my life as noisy as it is, so that I don't have to pay attention to what the Lord is calling me to, so that I can run away from the vocation of holiness that God is calling me to. As we see very clearly when Jesus invites people to the wedding feast, and they say, no, I have my my farm that I have to attend to, or I have my house that I have to attend to. That this is all different ways of sinning against sloth. And so the opposite is to hope. But the problem with hope is that it's a poor man's virtue. Hope is for people who don't have yet. Hope is for people who have to trust someone else that that someone else will provide. Hope is not immediate self-satisfaction. Yet, hope is a Christian virtue because we recognize that we can only be happy in eternity. And so what hope requires and what Jesus sees in Simon and the other fishermen is hope requires heart. Hope requires having a great amount of heart to trust the Lord. A great amount of heart to persevere in small things. Heart to try again even though we fail. Because hope relies upon God's promise and not upon our own abilities. The second thing, casting into the deep. What do we need to do? Not only to have heart and to hope, but to constantly remove obstacles to the heart. Again, the Lord does not want burnt offerings. The Lord does not just simply want our rule of life. He does not just want our holy hour or our fasting or our given up, our deleted apps from our phone. He doesn't just want that. He wants us. And all of those offerings can only help remove the obstacles to that heart. They cannot replace it. What are the obstacles that keeps me from grace? And that's the third point, is that we can never content ourselves with our own actions, but rather content ourselves only with grace. We can never content ourselves with our own actions, but only content ourselves with grace. We should continually crave the love of the Lord and feel the pain of not knowing that love whenever it is not present. We should always crave sanctifying grace. We should always crave the Lord dwelling within us and not just be content to say, Lord, I tried. 
I gave it my best, and I will take refuge just in what I've offered you and not in actually being And so all of this to say that this is fundamentally the Lord's action and that we can take courage because the Lord makes good on his promise. That as we continually cast into the deep, the Lord will provide his grace because eventually he will receive our heart and he is always faithful and he will never abandon us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Most sacred heart of